cinematographer. I have all these years. Okay, cool. Let me see your work. And they have none to show for it. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, you just say you did all these things. Oh, yeah, I did say I did all those things, but I have to get my stuff together to show you those things. Okay, well, come back when you have it. You're calling their bluff left and right. So you're meeting on day one the integrity factor that is already crossed. And business and relationships in film and in life and in any industry is built on integrity and trust. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I want to personally thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button. I encourage you, don't keep this to yourself. Share these inspiring stories with your friends, invite them to subscribe, and connect with us on social media. So, today I have on Keyshawn Blackstone. What do you do? Brother, uh, thanks for having me on, (laughs) Janine. Uh... I am a film director, uh, business consultant uh, here in Los Angeles. I am the founder of Play by Take One, which is a uh, production company conglomerate, as we would say, that pretty much supplies media, marketing, and going into now tech solutions for uh, our clients around the world. Wow, that's cool, man. So if you could create a blueprint of your success to pass on to someone without a college degree, what would it look like? What, what should they do? The first thing I would say is go into it with being a sponge to your environment. And the one thing I kind of live by is like the universe is my college. So you're going to be learning through the experiences that you encounter, which shapes ultimately who you become in the end. And you're never going to have it all figured out in the beginning. So I tell people go into it with a sponge absorption attitude. And secondly, uh, I would say have grit no matter what field you're in. You know, if you're going to do it the entrepreneurial way, you got to have some grit because, you know, without grit, then it can get really challenging being rejected and, you know, getting no's from clients, you know, it does add up. But at the same time, you got to understand that, you know, you're working not the average way a human works and you're only making of it what you put into it. So, uh, I mean, those are just a few things I would say that would highlight simple blueprint is having grit. You know, stay true to your vision. Know that your vision will be altered over time just because things adjust. But have faith and trust in your process. You know, don't don't try to ride someone else's wave just because they're doing something, you know, a little bit better or, you know, everybody has their own road, their own path. And you got to stay true to that path. Great advice. What's the salary range for someone that does the same things as you? Like, I know so many people, like, they'll watch videos online, but what, what are the realistic salary ranges? Feel free to go into the low end and the high end. Well, I just got into, let's, uh, let's go into our venture capital side for the company. Uh, just got into, we literally just launched this division like three months ago, but that salary range literally starts from 250 K to 500,000. Obviously we're not there yet, but it's just a matter of just clients and acquisitions that we do. Cause we do a lot of M and A deals. On the film production side, the salary could range anywhere from two hundred fifty thousand to one point five million per movie, and that just depends on obviously streams, uh, distribution, marketing, brand exposure, merchandising, music placement. So there's two, like three different arenas that we collect salaries from, and that we have our hands into: venture capital, film, and then marketing. Of course, that's a seventy five thousand to one fifty a year uh, job, and that ranges from you know doing digital, graphic, static. Uh, social uh, content creation just for different brands and helping them to find strategies. But the more involved you are with a brand, and obviously 
you can become an incubator. And I told you incubators put you in a spot where uh, you can make anywhere from 250 to 500K. And that's just because you're known as what they call their uh, VPs or C-list board members of their companies that pretty much oversee their marketing strategy. Wow, that's amazing. And I, I love hearing the high salaries. Now let's go into how do you go about getting those high salaries? So let's take it back. How was high school like for you? And would you want to be in high school? Ooh, this is fun. High school, I wanted to be a FBI agent. You may be asking, how did you turn left into being an entrepreneur? How did you begin to film? Yeah, I was that kid that was an ROTC. I was a West Point student applicant. I was a nerd in a way like, you know, I wasn't like straight A's nerd, but I was a nerd in terms of just tech. I was a very big tech enthusiast. I was always self-disciplined. Also a people's person. I realized me being a people's person that skill translated over to me getting into film. So throughout high school, I kind of saw some of the seeds I was already planting. I was a vice president of film club. I was, you know, an ROTC, like I said. So that kind of transferred over to just my work lifestyle and how I operate my business. And then also being able to meet people and understand and be relatable to people that put me in a spot to where now I'm doing like venture capital because I deal with businesses from all over the world, including smaller firms and marketing companies. So those were a few things just in high school that I kind of just, you know, I can highlight of what I was like. People would describe me as the the person who is the quiet one, but then comes out with this burst of energy. And, uh, you know, they're like, you know, this person I want to be around more because he's a life of the party and I'm not tooting no horns. That was just me. I was just like the quiet one. I'm very observant. I like to listen to people, hear their stories. But then at the end, I'm like, this is what we can do. This is how we can make it happen. And they're like, oh my God, like you're full of this like robust energy that, you know, it's comforting. And a lot of people don't have that energy around them. So I always try to take that wherever I go, whether it's in business or in personal life. Now you graduated high school. What was the next step? After high school, let's see, there's a crossroads. Let's see, let's start from junior year. Junior year, I was a pro cyclist. I was racing bicycles for major motion BMW development, which was a U23, which is under 23 collegiate team. And that was in Los Angeles as well. And I'm going to just backtrack just a little bit before I accelerate forward. So backtrack a little bit. I was known as the kid in high school that lost 150 pounds in one year through cycling. And everybody found out about that story. They found out I was like riding my bike from LA to the Valley. And then I was racing bikes. So I got published in this magazine and all this crazy stuff happened just through the sport of cycling. And while I was racing my bike, I had this motivation one day to just ride this one particular bike path. And I met a really cool friend who I later then rode for his team, which was called Unity Sports. His name is Damon Turner. He's a really great guy. Rode for his team for about a half a year. Once that happened, I met a film director, which was his best friend, which is Gary Halverson, 50 Emmy winning director. Me and Gary became really good friends. And then Gary became my mentor in film. So translating over from senior year to going into my first year of college, I was at this crossroads of, Keyshawn, you worked your entire high school career to get into West Point. But then again, you really love filmmaking. So what are you going to do? And that's the you know million dollar question every student kid has in high school at that particular point is what are you going to do once you're out of high school? And for me, it was like, I can go to West Point, give eight years of my life, you know, serve my country. It's like, it's already planned out, already see that. So I was like, I'd rather do the route that's more interesting. That's going to make me more interesting. That's going to allow me to go into my interesting talents, tap into my gifts, um, give me creative freedom. So I wanted to know what, what life would have been like as a filmmaker. So I got into 
community college for a semester. My parents wanted me to just try it out. I hated it. I dropped out. I first semester, I was like, I'm done. I can't do this. It's just not me. It feels like high school again. And I was just like determined to be like my own boss at that point. And that's when I started my first production company. While I started my first production company, I worked in jewelry and I learned sales and understand how sales work and how to run a business from the bottom. And my boss at the time, uh, he was like, you know, you're not the average Joe that belongs here. Like you should be doing other things. You should be running your own business. You're really smart. And he started showing me how to not only scale a business, but how to make a business marketable. So I was able to apply what I knew already from marketing and sales to working his business. And then while doing that, I met some really cool people who was already in the sales world, the marketing world, started working with them for a bit. And then I one day left, became a Lyft driver and did the Lyft driving world for a little bit. And I, like I said, goes back to me being a people's person. I use, you know, my mouthpiece to meet a lot of really cool people. And I tell people business is relationships. So I met some really cool people that kind of got my foot in the door with film, found myself on my first production set, like I think a year after that was my first television show that I worked on. And then that was it. The rest was history. But I tell people like, you got to start somewhere. It's never going to make sense starting out. It's kind of going to be this like set of tools and you got to know what tool does what to get you where you want to go. So for me, I was dealing with that early twenties. Like, you know, what do I want to do with these tools? How I'm going to use them. But, um, at the end, here I am, you know, fast forward, I kind of just use my tools and work my way up. I'm still working my way up. I think I tell people nothing is perfect, even though it can look perfect at times. I tell people that this is, you know, right now I'm on year 10 of my career. I'm, you know, 26 going on 27 next year, but I'm like, you know, this is just me on the grind committed to it. You're going to have days where you feel like, you know, crap, you're going to have days where, you know, you're not going to want to do it. You're just going to want to go do something different, but there's that fire inside that keeps us ignited. So yeah. No, I love it. Let's go into more details. So you were the Lyft driver. How long did you do that for? I did Lyft for about two years. Yeah, about two years committed. Like I was like a, a nine to thriver with Lyft, like got up at, you know, seven in the morning. I knew the rides that give me good monies. I knew where to like park my car to get the good rides. And then at a certain point, I just was committed to that for a while, but it put a lot of wear and tear on my car. Lyft, I did that for about two years and... I think shortly after Lyft, Uber came along. Everybody started getting to the Uber ride. I wasn't a fan of Uber. So by then I left and I just kind of started staying committed to uh, doing Lyft, but trying to make my way in full-time in film. So how was it like making your way into film? Like what were you doing and what was your first break in film? You know, truthfully, I never really thought what my first break would have been. But I think my first break was when I was 17 because I never really got paid for the gig. <laughs> That's what we look at as a break is when you're actually paid sustainable for a gig. So truthfully, my first break was when I was 17. I directed 10 episodes of a short form series called Bite Me. It was a show about a talking dog and he could talk to his owner. Really interesting show. And it was going to Adult Swim. Never seen a penny of that show, but worked on it, got the experience. 17-year-old me directing a set. And this is before I even had all the tools to be a successful director. I was just literally, you know, working that shoot as a director, just from, you know, watching other directors work and applying, you know, what I seen to my job. But uh, I think it started at 17 and it came back around at 22. That's when I worked on this other show, television show series pilot called Wrong for Right, which was a cop drama. 
And then at 24, I did my first feature film with this tiny lister from Friday. We did a movie called Crossed. He played in it. Truthfully, I told you the word break, it doesn't exist the way Hollywood says it anymore because truthfully, we're in a world now where everything is social and digital. So, you know, you can have your break just by creating your own content. You know, one minute you're, you know, you have an idea, next minute you're trending on TikTok. There you go. You got your break. But, you know, it's not the famous glam word that we all look at anymore where it's a, you know, strict dollar sign to it. So I'd say I had my break at 17 from the minute I knew I wanted to be a director. The minute I started directing, uh, having the passion for it. That's when you have your break. Success, I mean, that's a different line of crossing. But I think break-wise, it's the minute you have the passion for the, for the talent that you want to do. When were you first seeing some sort of success in your eyes? When I was 22. I mean, I was booked left and right. You know, and I wasn't always a director. I worked as a assistant director, camera operator, camera assistant, production coordinator, you know, stunt coordinator. Done a lot of different jobs. And I tell people I do all these jobs because when you're working as a director, you got to understand the dynamics of the pressure that you're putting on people. You know, as a director, you're like the leader of the the entire show. So, you know, you got to be able to make reasonable expectations rather than harsh expectations. And there's a lot of directors that abuse their crew. So for me, I wanted to know what is it like being in these people's shoes so that way when I run my set, I'm not putting demands on them that's unrealistic. It's like, I know what your job takes. I've done your job before. So, you know, it's not a matter of can't. It's a matter of, you know, do you have the commitment to do it? So at a certain point, yeah, the turnover for me was music videos. It was music videos and television shows that I was working on left and right. I mean, nothing like mainstream, I would say. Cardi B, Danny Lay music video. Yeah, that's probably like my highlight, you know, meeting meeting some of the greats. But I think that's when it happened. Now, a lot of people don't realize, like, it was five years of work to get to 22, right? And that's when you're just starting to see some success. So prior to that, like, how much were you necessarily getting paid for these gigs? Because this was earlier in your career. Early career, there were some gigs I made no money. You know, I just did it for the experience because I had to build a resume. Then there's some gigs where I made, you know, 150 bucks, 250 bucks a day. Um, if you're lucky, you know, you get a really good gig. And the way the system works is, you know, the agency hires the production company. The production company takes the budget that the agency has and they disperse it to the crew that they're hiring for the production. So based on what the agency gets for the budget, like if you're doing a Super Bowl commercial, and they hire a production company like myself, then I'd be looking at a $10,000 payday. Now, if you flip it back, you get a smaller company that's like an upcoming mom and pop shop that wants to do, you know, a small commercial. And you're looking at probably $150, $200 a day. You know, you're doing a music video, it's probably $150, $200 a day because the record labels pay them a little bit of money just to do the video. So the, the gigs vary. And I tell people at a certain point, you're going to have to draw the line of like, stop going after small fish and start going after bigger fish. But to make that transition, it's like, you got to know your worth as a creative and you got to know your talent. You're paying for your time. Essentially, if you can do the job in half the time and, you know, better results, then obviously you deserve more, but a lot of people would get caught up in the sauce, which, uh, you know, that's part of being a creative. It's very easy to get caught up in the sauce and you wake up one day and you're like, why am I not making this amount of dollar? And it's because you never demanded that dollar. You you kind of let the dollar took control of you. So um, it's a basis of just what you're dealing with. For me, I'm very transparent about like when I go into gigs, I'm like, hey, what's your budget up front? I'm not going to like 
sit here and be like, oh, yeah, thank you for bringing me on. And, you know, you know, I'm going to be super patient. It's like, no, let's start. Let's draw this line up front before I start getting deeply involved, because I know what it takes to do all these things. So I'm like, you know, what do you got to spend? So that way I know what I got to pay my people. I know what I make at the end of the day. And sometimes people come with an okay budget. Sometimes they don't. If I'm very passionate, I love the project, I care about it, I see that there's you know room for greater and bigger things are going to happen. And sure, I'll commit some time for free. But other than that, you know, it's my livelihood. This is my career. Being a director is my career. So it's an essential point of knowing what your value is in the business. But like I said, I'm not just in film. I'm doing like several things, which, you know, several different streams of income because you can't just rely on film. We just had this strike. And that was an eye-opener for a lot of people, you know, people who I knew that was veterans in a business no longer in the business. And that's because they outrightly revolved on their, the salaries of film. But I told them it's not stable. You know, you got to create stability in the business. And to do that, sometimes it's taking yourself out that realm for a little bit, you know, and just getting a breath of fresh air. Now, let's go into getting involved and upskilling. In this industry, like, were you buying your own cameras? How did that look like? Like gear or... Is it dependent on the production company? Sometimes when you do like shoots, the client or the agency or the label has certain specifics that they want. So if they say, oh, you know, we want this shot on red because that's all they know is red. You know, that we want a shot on red. So if you don't own a red, then you hire someone with the red to work on the production with you. And that's hiring a cinematographer. Or if you own your own gear as a production company, then you kind of list your specifics of what you got to offer up front. So that way, what they do is uh, they give you a fee, which is known as a kit fee. And your kit fee is everything that's included with your production gear. So there's one of two ways. But for me personally, I didn't get my first camera until a year after COVID, 2021. My first actual cinema camera. And it's not the best cinema camera, but it it does the job. It shoots 6K. But um, I told people it's not the... It's not the camera that makes the productions these days. It's knowing how to use your camera and knowing how to edit and having the right resources to cut. But yeah, I mean, getting gear is probably like the most expensive thing. You're not always going to have a $40,000 camera. You know, the lenses alone are $100,000. So if you unless you got millions of dollars to blow on that kind of stuff, you're most likely renting it or finding friends who have production rental houses to rent from. But most people don't just own gear. They're renting it. Lights and cameras, that's like the biggest thing. Okay. No, that's good to know because I know you're more on the film side. I know like photographers, they kind of need their own gear to kind of do their shoots. And again, the networking is really important. Now, what are some mistakes that you've made along the way? You know, I, I take accountability for a lot of things. That's just one thing I'm known for. I think the first one was not being smart and doing my homework especially in the film business, my beginning of my career, like I said, my first production, I didn't make a lot of money. You know, I I lost out on $40,000 because I wasn't smart. I didn't put a contract down. I was just hungry to be on set and film and build a resume. So, you know, doing my homework, I learned that on day one, probably by my third shoot, pretty much how, how set operations work. You know, I've been on shoots where a lot of time is wasted. A lot of money is wasted. You don't get that back. The client's mad, the studio's mad. So now you're dealing with, you know, anger and ego from everybody because it's a domino effect. So I learned that make good use of time, do a lot more prep and planning. Relationships is key. You know, never try to tarnish a relationship. No matter if they're the they're the PA on set, they're the smallest person on set. Respect everybody equally. I've personally 
like I said, it's experience for me. So I've been on sets where that wasn't the case. They treat PAs like they're garbage men and, you know, like they don't do anything important. I've been on shoots where, you know, you're figuring out how to put out fires in this moment because the director don't know what they're doing. And you're kind of thinking for the director. Like I said, it goes back to having that military mindset. It's like being in war when you're in film. Like if you can be a filmmaker, you can go to war because you're always on your feet. You're thinking in a moment. Your crew is everything. If your crew respects you, you're going to get the best project. If your crew don't respect you, you're going to see <laughs> it's, it trickles down in every department. But just over the time, I just seen like me personally, mistakes that I've made was kind of just seeing things flop and fail that was not in my control. And yeah, my family would say like, hey, why'd you work on this? You could be working on your own stuff. It's like, yeah, I don't got thousands of dollars to be creating my own stuff. But, you know, I would love that luxury. But till then, I have to pay my dues and work on someone else's stuff. And sometimes you're going to have to ask yourself, is this worth my sanity? Because it gets very stressful very quick. And if you have like limited control of your stress, then it can take a toll on you mentally. That's why, you know, a lot of people smoke, they drink, you know, it's a, it's a crazy industry uh, just because the stress levels that they're under, the demands that people want. But um, mistakes wise, yeah, I kind of learned from, like I said, I'm big on watching and listening and I'm quiet. So when I'm on set, I'm the same way, especially if I'm not the one in charge. So just me seeing like the world burn and I'm that guy in the background, just like with the cigarette lit and you see the flames and you're like, oh, this is where it ends. Yep. That's, that's me. I'm that person. I've seen those moments and um, you learn from them. You learn what to do and not to do. What were some things that you did right? Like, you're like, I'm so proud that I did that. And that really helped me go to the next level. Having compassion is one thing we lack in the industry. We lack in the world in general, having compassion. Like I tell people we're being paid to create. When I know that, that's like, I, I put that on the line on day one. We're being paid to create. You're, you could easily be, you know, flipping burgers, working a full corporate job, doing something more intense, but you're being paid to create right now. So having that compassion for people when they're going through things, um, I'm always proud of myself because when that moment happens, I'm like, I'm not that director that can be an a-hole or I'm not that person who just doesn't care about the people that they work with. And it shows in my work, every, every project I've worked on personally, that's mine. People say, wow, your results are incredible because you treat your people right. And I've done stuff where I go above and beyond for my team all the time. That's just a must. You know, it's not always, I tell you, it's not always about me. It's not about the project. It's about the people that collaborate to make that project come alive. And you know, when you can make happy memories on set, you know, meet new friends, make new connections and your lifelong friends, that's the stuff that makes me happy. Cause I'm like, dude, you just brought people together. You just got these people to like, you know, launched your careers off and you gave opportunities. So when I'm able to do that, that's the joy in my job is that particular part. It's not about the money. It's not about the dollar sign. Cause I've seen a lot of money at one point and it's gone and it's because of egos and there's hatred but then I see no money and it's just like all the love in the world. And you're like, man, I, I can do this every day because it's just that kind of a vibe. So at one point, I just drew the line. I said, you know what? It's about compassion, having compassion for my job, passion for what I do, subtracting self from the equation and making it about the people. That's what makes a good filmmaker. That's how you get all these really great projects. And it shows you, you watch some of the greatest films to this day. The directors who are doing it the right way, you love them. 
Why? Because they're good with people. They care about the people they work with. And um, I just try to follow that example. Yeah. How important is networking to the filmmaking industry? It's extremely crucial. However, I tell people, if you're going to fake it, fake it real. And you can't do that. So I always say it will be real. And, uh, you know, networking is the most important tool in the film business. You can be the person with no degree, no prior experience, like myself, no degree, no prior experience, but I know everybody at every major studio. And I know the power players at the studios, not just the, oh, he's just the janitor who works at the security lot. No, I know the people who can make decisions that can change your life around with a snap of a finger. And that's just because of me being genuine and honest with my intentions. Networking is is that tool that you need to have as a creative in today's age because, you know, no one's looking at, did you go to Harvard? No one's looking at, did you go to USC? They're looking at, are you a good person? Can I trust you? Can I actually have a conversation with you and it'll be okay? Because a lot of people come in with this mask on and they're like, hi, I'm such and such. And I'm this incredible you know, cinematographer, I have all these years. Okay, cool. Let me see your work. And they have none to show for it. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, you just say you did all these things. Oh, yeah, I did say I did all those things, but I have to get my stuff together to show you those things. Okay, well, come back when you have it. You're calling their bluff left and right. So you're meeting on day one the integrity factor that is already crossed. And business and relationships in film and in life and in any industry is built on integrity and trust. If you can trust, you know, the people you meet, then you have lifelong friends, you have great lifelong results. So networking, utmost, it's a million percent important in my book, but stay true to your networking. Don't network half-assed. You know, you network half-assed, it shows. It, people see right through it. I've seen, you know, execs that's like, yeah, I will never take a meeting with that person because he's he's just a BSer. You know, we don't deal with BSers. I've seen the two where people talk a big game, but their body of work doesn't add up. So you, may, you have to make sure you... You walk the walk and you talk the talk and you walk the walk. Now, how has the industry changed over time? Because I know there's been a big shift after 2020. The industry has shifted drastically. I mean, I tell people we're in the industry that change is inevitable, meaning you can't try to control it. You can't try to put a marker on it. It's just one of those things that's always evolving. From 2020 till now, there was a streaming wars at first during 2020. Everybody was seeing that. You know, Paramount Plus, Netflix, Hulu, all these big time studios are now competing with their streaming platforms to who can get the most content. Now that's not the case. It's like now we are in a scar situation where we're behind on stuff that needs to be fulfilled. So we can't take on new content. We can't green light new stuff. So it's like this teeter totter effect. Some years it's moving progressively towards a buyer's market. Some years it's moving more progressive towards a seller's market. And Staying ahead of that curve is knowing like what's in, what's not in. And when you talk to distributors and execs, you know, asking the proper questions and in terms of where the industry is at is very important because things are always happening. Prepared for the strike this year, no one knew that there was going to be a strike, especially for double industries, writers and actors, but it happened. And, you know, that kind of was like a domino effect for what comes for the next three years after that. So there's just this effect of, uh, like I said, it's a teeter-totter effect that goes back and forth within each side, but it's knowing staying ahead of the curve. Good execs stay ahead of the curve. They know what's in, what's not in. You know, They know what kind of content to make, what not to make, where to put their money at, where to move money from. 
But if you're a person that's just waiting and you're like, oh, I'm going to see where the industry is going, you're going to be getting tossed around like a tetherball, just back and forth. They're going to keep hitting it back and forth. So I tell people, like, unleash yourself from that, get into knowing, meet the right people that can keep you ahead of the curve. Because it's it's an industry now where it's like the wild, wild west. You know, there's no set rule book on what to do and not to do. It's just like whatever knowledge you absorb and you can get from execs and from studios, I mean, that puts you much farther than just waiting for things to happen and saying, oh, we're going to be back okay someday. You know, you're going to be waiting forever by that point. Now, looking back, what would you say is your biggest accomplishment so far? I'd say my biggest accomplishment so far has been becoming a founder of a production company. I mean, that's one thing I'm like, just doing it. Like not, like I had got to the point in my life where I like stop caring what people think, you know, stop trying to live up to the expectations of what people expect from you as a business owner and make your own blueprint and sauce. Just seeing that I've done all these things, you know, Lyft driver, film director, started a business, traveling the world, making films, uh, starting organizations, partnering with companies, you know, uplifting people, amplifying voices, giving opportunities. Proud of all that stuff because I realized there's only one me here and not everybody's doing what I'm doing. So in every sector of Keyshawn, I'm proud of him because, you know, he's doing it and I'm resilient when I do it. It's like, if you fail, then great. Because fail just means first attempt and learning. So I'm like, okay, if we fail, we fail, but we're going to get back up. But happy, happy just about all of it overall. Okay. Now, what would you say you're most proud of? The people I've met. I know some really cool people. I mean, just worldwide. Can't you can't get this stuff just from a college degree? You know, they'll they'll tell you that you're going to meet billionaires and you know hedge fund owners and people who done business like 30 plus years and me knowing these people and I can pick their brains. It's like me having a, a book of just people who can educate me in certain areas that I wasn't sharp on. So I'm proud of the fact that I took risk to meet these people. I'm proud that I took the step out to get uncomfortable, to become comfortable. And I embrace change at every level because Many people have fear when it comes to that. So it's definitely something I'm very proud of. Yeah. So now looking back, what would you say is the hardest thing you went through in your career? Hardest thing I went through in my career was being able to do my passion while still juggling life's biggest problems at the same time, fighting homelessness while trying to make a movie, you know, trying to, you know, eat while writing a script, trying to make a business while figuring out how you're going to help your parents out the next month. Like there's been, just been moments where you're, you're given a challenge, but you're also given a passion. So it's up to you to like juggle. That's what life's about is juggling. I mean, you stop juggling. That's when things just fall apart. So for me, it's like, I'm always juggling something, but that was kind of like my hardest period. Just, it was dark. It's like, I'm in the dark with something, but I'm also in the light with something. And uh, the thing that kept me moving forward was knowing that there's more light than dark because that's what eventually darkness turns to. So I was always focused on the light. Oh, I'm going to be on set tomorrow. Yeah. But you know, your, your bills are due. You know, this is happening. Your, <laughs> your world is crashing apart. You got credit card debt, like all these things are happening, but you're passionate about this part. So you're having more hope. And I told people, 
like just me having that energy of knowing to shift my thinking to a positive note in every situation kind of just gotten me through all those moments. You know, even when I felt like it was at the worst, I always saw the light in the situation. So yeah, those were some of the moments. Are you frustrated with your job search? Are you sending out resume after resume with no callbacks? If so, I have some good news. After three years of helping over 400 people land jobs at places like Meta, HubSpot, Google, Twitter, Amazon, Tesla, Disney, Sony, I created a course. In the Get Your Dream Career course, you'll discover best practices for creating a resume that stands out, and you'll also learn how to optimize your job search. It covers every aspect of the job, including resumes, application strategy, networking, LinkedIn profile optimization, interview guidance, and salary negotiation. You will also get a behind-the-scenes view of how recruiters use LinkedIn to find candidates. And of course, you'll get resume and cover letter templates. Get one step closer to your dream job. Sign up at the link in the notes below. This is going to be a little different. If you saw a 17-year-old Keyshawn walking across the street today, what would you tell him? I think 17-year-old Keyshawn, I mean, I, I wasn't... I wasn't like a trouble kid or anything. So if I saw him, I'd be like, dude, you're going places and just buckle up because you're going places and the ride, it's about the journey. It's not about just getting there. The destination is there, but enjoy the journey because that's where you find the happiness at. So yeah, if I got 17 year old Keyshawn to understand that early on, I don't think life would have been different. I just think I would have been more mentally prepped for the things that I've been thrown. But till this day, I'm still proud of everything that happened the way it did. But if I could have prevented it, that's probably what I told him. So what advice would you have for just a general person who's like around the 18 to 21 years old regards to the film industry? Like what do they need to do to make sure they move up? Well, we're in an industry where it's very saturated. So find your voice, find your vision, and go after your vision. Don't go off what's trending. Don't go off of what you think is a hit because a friend said it's a hit. Find that genuine voice. And that was something that was told to me before John Singleton passed away. He put up this really cool message that was like, tell the story that you know, rather than just trying to tell a story. And if you're going to be a filmmaker... That's what you got to do to define yourself in the business is tell a story that you know. Many people try to just tell a story that someone else told a story of and it's just circumvented, you know, media. So I tell them early on, find your voice, find your passion and understand what you may say today as, oh, I want to be a cinematographer may change tomorrow. You may want to be a director tomorrow. And that's just because you got experience now. So Go into it with a open eye of being a sponge like I was and absorbing everybody's job and finding your passion and calling and sharpen up on that. Get books on it. You know, I'm not saying get a degree in it, but you need to know the skill that you're going to be getting into and know the department in and out before you actually take a step into owning that department and stay resilient. Stay, stay resilient, keep ambition, keep your integrity, and make sure that no matter what happens, good or bad, it's the journey that you're enjoying, not the destination. You're looking at just a dollar sign, the journey is going to be much more harder. But if you're, in, if you're looking at how beautiful it's going to be, 
it's going to be a really good journey throughout the process. Any books that you would recommend that people read to really Ooh, just yeah. learn about the industry? Yeah, I mean, I mentor a few people and I always start them off with the Filmmaker's Handbook. I think it's the 2018 edition. Get it on Amazon. It's like seven bucks a copy. How to Make Friends and Influence People, uh, Power of Habit, The Power of Now, How to Not Give a F. Yes, it's exactly that word. If you're going for a specific department in film or in business in general, I think you should have The Arches of Life, which basically shows you like how the business world works. But outside of that, be a sponge. You know, I have over personally, because I want to know everything about everything in my in my fields. So my bedroom is a library. I have over hundreds of books on different things. And that's just because I have to know the things I'm getting into. So never limit yourself to just, oh, I got a book on cinematography, so I'm just going to learn cinematography. No, understand the entire business, ins and outs of it. Understand the personal development that goes into it, um, the lifestyle that it takes. And that some of those books are... You know, either self-help, some of those books are either, you know, memoirs, some of those books are educational, but you got to have a combination sauce of knowledge because that's what's going to define your signature as a creative or as a human in general, whether you're a small business owner or a business owner, you got to have a sauce. So how would people support you? How would people get in contact with you, follow you? So I'm on LinkedIn at Keyshawn Blackstone, K-E-I-S-H-A-W-N, last name's Blackstone. Uh, Instagram at director underscore Blackstone. Find me on Google. I'm on Google. And it'll show you all my other links that I'm associated with. But I usually get random okay. emails from people. They're like, oh, I found you just on Google search. So I'm like, okay, cool. TikTok. I'm on TikTok. You know, chef.key for my culinary hobby and director Blackstone for my film career. Yeah, those are the worlds I'm in. Man, thank you. So it was so good in this episode you thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your past and listeners got a lot of value from hearing your story brother i appreciate you for having me on man thanks again and i can't wait to see the outcome of this i appreciate you for having me on another great episode thank you for listening hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot stay tuned for the next episode this show is sponsored by you no Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com.